Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to Holy Soup, coming to you today from uh, our headquarters in Colorado, the Holy Soup International Headquarters. And today we're talking about worship music in the church. You know, I've written about this before in uh, the Holy Soup blog, and I got to tell you, it is a hot topic around the country. Seems like everybody has an opinion. Styles of music, song selection, instruments or non-instruments, conduct of the musicians, the quality and professionalism of the performance, and the volume of the music. And that's really today's topic. Whether it's a worship band, the organ, singers, people have a different idea from person to person about the right level of loudness that is pumped through a church's speakers. Now, some people feel the contemporary service should emulate a rock concert, the louder the better. Others run from such an atmosphere. They cover their ears in pain. But is there an optimum level, or is that up to a church's actual or tacit goals for the music that's piped through the speakers? We're going to dig into all of that today, and we've got a special guest, David Geiger, who uh, is uh, a professor of music at Moody Bible Institute, and he teaches music technology, instrumental conducting coaches small ensembles, and he's also involved in recording many musicians on campus. What's really interesting is uh, David Geiger has just completed a doctoral dissertation with a cross-discipline project on the effect of congregational volume on one's encouragement to sing. So welcome, David, to uh, Holy Soup. Well, thank you, Tom. I'm very, very happy to be here today. Well, before we get into your findings, which I I can't wait to hear about what you discovered, why? Why did you decide to research the possible relationship between sound levels and congregational participation? Well, that's an interesting story. I'll tell you it started when I was in Israel on tour, and uh, many of the tour guides will take you to St. Anne's Cathedral, which is in Jerusalem. I believe it's really close to the excavation for the pools of Bethsaida. Anyway, um, next to there is this ancient church built in about 1100. It's a cruciform church in the shape of a cross. You go in there, and I began to people watch, and they all exhibited the same behavior. They went in, they were kind of arrested, their conversation stopped as they listened to the acoustics in the room, and then they began to make little noises, kind of like clicks and pops and snapping their fingers, just listening to the effect of the church on their their actions. And then finally they kind of started singing. Some of them sang in unison, and some groups sang in harmony. But all of them ended up singing, and this kind of, you know, uh, provoked a question in my mind, what is there about this room that makes people want to sing? If I can capture that or measure it or discover it, I can help the church at least through this one little project anyway, uh, maybe make some strides towards better worship. And so that's how it started. So uh, it sounds like when uh, you began to think about that, that uh, you're thinking about sound levels in a worship setting are perhaps more than just a matter of taste. 
which is what uh, the conversation often comes back to. Right. Like you would expect, this is a multi-layered issue. What helps people to sing has many different aspects. Uh, how well they know the song, uh, how well they like the worship leader, um, even the temperature in the room affects one's singing. But the idea of uh, how to uh, give them the optimal, ex- optimal surroundings or optimal chance to sing well was what I decided to focus on. And like most doctoral dissertations, your advisory committee will tell you better make it narrower, focus in more, uh, choose one variable amongst the many out there. And there are, as I said, there are many things that affect it, but I had to choose one. And so my choice was to choose to see what the effect of the surrounding singer's level is on your singing. And uh, so I basically created a congregation that I could play out of speakers in surround. I had eight speakers, and I put my test subject in the center of these speakers, which then played back congregation, and I was able to turn the level down in an exact and repeatable manner. At the same time, I had a microphone strapped on them, and I could measure how loud they were singing. Wow. And then after that, I asked some questions. What did you think about this? Did you think you could worship? Did you feel you were assisted by the congregation? So I basically had uh, three different pieces of data and I, that I could correlate, and I have some very interesting results from that. Ah, well, we're going to get into that, I hope, find yeah. out uh, what you discovered. But before we do that, uh, just this week I talked with uh, a couple Longtime members of their local congregation. In fact, I think uh, they've been members there for 19 years. And the recent hike in uh, volume levels that they experienced in their church has has forced them out. Uh, let's uh, let's hear what uh, Darwin and Christine uh, had to say about their experience. It started around Thanksgiving time. The sound levels went up. The bass was getting more vibrating. Distortion was getting bad, and it got to the point where it was hurting our ears. We had to plug our ears, and the church actually furnished us a bucket of earplugs at the back of the sanctuary. So, you know, that should tell you something. But (laughs) Apparently they feel that the direction they're going is going to bring more people into praise and worship, but our opinion is it's going to make a lot of people leave like us. Um, We know some people, um, some of our friends, they come after the praise and worship because it is too loud. And some people uh, pack their ears full of tissue paper and hold them tight because it's too loud. And we're not willing to go to a church and miss out on the praise and worship. So as as it relates to this church, what have you decided to do? Well, we're, we're going to leave. We're yeah. going to look for a different we're church. looking for a different church. Mm. So that was Darwin and Christine. Uh, David, have you heard similar stories from others around the country? Yeah, um, you do hear that, um, that feeling voiced quite a few times. It's unfortunate that this is a divisive issue. Um, it is, uh, kind of falls along philosophical divides as to what's supposed to transpire in the service. And um, it's a, it's a, there's a, like I said, there's a lot of layers to this onion, and that's one of them. Mm. 
I think it might go back to one of the things that also fed into my uh, decision to go this direction with my dissertation was was uh, the two injunctions, one in Colossians 3.16, which says uh, in, the, in the King James, says the teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And that's echoed in a similar fashion in Ephesians 5.19 and 20, very, very similar language. And if you look in there, there's two things that are happening. One talks about singing and making melody in your heart, which is kind of an individualistic thing. And I think our culture understands that very care- very well, um, uh, the idea of this is just between me and the Lord. Mm. And I think the difference comes when we make our worship corporate, when we go to a place with other believers. I think different things happen there. And that is reflected in the first part of the verses, which say teaching, teaching and admonishing one another. Well, that's more than one person. And it is a responsibility that we have been given. And so now you're into our, uh, uh, different things. For example, do the surroundings and the acoustics and the conditions uh, in which you're singing help you or hurt you, your ability to uh, teach and admonish one another through your singing? Mm. And uh, I'm not sure that's always considered when the volumes are uh, at a level high enough to offend people like we just heard. You know, I met with uh, the worship leader of this couple who we uh, just heard from, and he defends the audio levels of uh, their worship in their church, of course, and and uh, he also defends the accommodation that they've made by supplying earplugs. You know, I wondered, as he spoke about that, if he'd ever thought about what a church communicates by furnishing devices that actually are intended to block the sounds of their worship service. So let's hear what Phil Baugh, the worship leader, had to say. Sure. Um, I mean, it's not something I've, I've thought in, you know, thought about and mulled over in depth or anything, but it is kind of an ironic thing to say, we're going to make this, we're going to sing these songs, we're going to make this music, produce the sound, and we want you to engage in it, but here, block it out of your ears. Don't let it in. You know, I mean, I get that. But I also understand that technology, and, and I'm trying not to make this a defense one way or the other, but I think just with technology and music evolving as it has, um, I mean, the human ear changes over time. As you get older, you know, um, younger people are less sensitive Older people are more sensitive sometimes, but that's not true for everyone. Um, it's just kind of a way of saying this is what the music's doing. This is how we're mixing it, knowing we're not just trying to be loud for the sake of it, trying to push the envelope. But if this just isn't quite your cup of tea or it just hurts a little bit or, you know, you just don't want to have all those high frequencies, whatever the reason may be, here, let us help you out. Your reaction, David, when you hear that uh, from a worship leader? Well, I look at it uh, from a different perspective entirely, and that is uh, the person-to-person within the pew. Remember, I'm thinking about uh, how can we teach and admonish one another, and uh, the idea is that the conditions between person A and person B in the sanctuary are important because they either they make or break the ability to communicate. It seems to me like the volume level is loud enough to cause pain. You cannot hear or be heard by the next person in the pew. 
And then I'm wondering then how that we can discharge our responsibilities given in Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 and 20 in a corporate setting. As an individual, you might be able to do it. But in a corporate setting where we're worshiping together, it seems to me like it would prohibit that kind of thing. You know, I've often wondered with uh, this growing trend of furnishing earplugs at the door, which I've seen in more and more churches now, I've often wondered uh, uh, what would happen if uh, a church, rather than turning up the volume and furnishing earplugs, what, uh, what they are worried about, what they would fear would happen if they turned down the volume. Would, uh, is the fear that people would stomp out and say, you know, that sound system is just not loud enough. I've had it. I can't stand it in there. <laughs> I, 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 I wonder if uh, that is a fear. Well, I asked uh, Phil Baugh, this particular worship leader, uh, what he thought would happen if he turned the volume down a bit. And let's hear what he had to say. We have experienced the, if it's too quiet, people just get bored. It's just weak. It's thin. It's, you know, it sounds like a CD player, if you will. You know, it doesn't sound like a, a live PA system. Mm. Your reaction, David? Yeah, I actually have data on this this exact point, and that is uh, hearing the people around you. Now, let me make a distinction. In the, the congregation that I created, with voices only, no reverberation, no accompaniment, no PA system. It was just more or less a cappella singing for the people around you. Remember, my committee advised me to simplify, to reduce, to make it narrow, uh, to, to constrict my area of, uh, of uh, experimentation so that I can kind of find the effect of one variable. And so that's why I left out those things. Um, anyway, I found that below 70 dB, that uh, it, hearing people around you less than 70 dB was a discouragement to singing. People did not feel the balance was right. They did not feel confident. They did not feel they could worship. They did not feel they were supported. Uh, they felt alone, and that is below 70 dB. 70 dB is not that soft. Uh, it's basically conversational level. Anyway, uh, that was what I found at the low end, and I think there's very clear evidence that below 70 dB uh, it's not a good thing when it comes to congregational mm. singing. And uh, did you find an upper end? I most certainly did. Um, I gave two different uh, experiments um, to the people. In one case, I chose the volume levels, and I asked them to sing along with those levels and react to them, give me their opinions on them, using questions answered on what's called a Likert scale. Anyway, um, the questions that I asked showed some very clear trends. I found that above 85 dB or maybe 90 dB at the most, that uh, the volume level of the singers around you was a discouragement to singers, to singing. Let me say that again. Above about 90 dB, uh, Hearing the rest of the congregation at a level louder than 90 dB was a discouragement to singing. Now keep in mind, a lot of people want to know about the volume of the PA system. The PA system was not part of my experimentation, only the level of the rest of the congregation. But it's not too great a leap to understand that volume is volume, and if the congregation is louder than 90 dB or the PA system is louder than 90 dB, either way, it's going to have the same effect. 
above 90 dB, I found that uh, people could not hear their own voice. They felt overwhelmed. Uh, they did not feel they could worship. They did not want to sing again under those conditions, and so forth. I have heard from uh, a number of different uh, sources, both at personal conversations and seen it in blogs and so forth, where people are very afraid of taking the volume of the, of the PA system, for example, too low because they feel that people will be self-conscious and not want to sing. Well, we have just identified through this data that the optimal level for congregational singing is somewhere between 70 and about 90 dB, somewhere in that ballpark. Above that or below that is a discouragement to singing. Mm. You know, it's interesting in uh, the church from which uh, the people who we just heard from today, their worship leader explained to me that uh, their sound levels, they tried to keep at or around 95 dB. So that might explain uh, some of the discomfort that uh, we heard from Darwin and Christine, that that uh, sound level is above the optimum level that you're describing. I actually ran several different tests. The first one I've just described to you where I chose the levels is basically every 5 dB from 55 to 95 dB. I, I played the, the congregation back at those levels. And uh, another test I gave them is I gave them a control of the volume. I said, okay, you pick the low volume and the high volume. And uh, so in one case, I chose the volume. In another case, they chose the volume. And the fascinating thing is that the two tests co um, uh, are very, very closely correlated. I found that when um, they chose the volume, they liked it between, oh, about 68 and 87 dB, which is really uh, only 2 or 3 dB from the, from the levels, that, the acceptable levels that we described before. So it's very interesting that no matter who chose the level, um, we ended up with the same, same data, uh, the same uh, area between 70 and 90, 70 and 80, 70 dB, somewhere in that ballpark um, is the acceptable level. Anything above that or below that is not good. Hmm. You know, just uh, uh, taking my own informal observation of visiting churches really around the country of all different sizes and all different types, I have to say that in uh, recent years, I've, I've noticed that in many churches today, there's only a minority of people singing. In fact, I actually took the time to, to do a little nose count at uh, a very well-known megachurch not long ago and found that only about 10% of the people were singing. And I couldn't, oh. I couldn't hear them. I saw their lips moving. I'm not sure if they were really making any sound or not. Maybe they were just lip syncing. But uh, only about 10% were actually participating. And that, that brings up uh, the question that uh, I think might be under the surface here as we've talked, and that is, uh, is that the goal? I is congregational participation the goal? Or when it comes to music, are at least the people in charge thinking that, well, there are other things that are more important than that, such as the quality, the professionalism, and the uh, impact or energy level of the music from the stage? That's a very interesting um, observation, and I'm, I'm fascinated, you know, history repeats itself. And I'm just kind of brought back to, oh, around 50, early 1500s, 
and Martin Luther wanting to bring worship back to the people mm. instead of the priests, and, instead, and the congregation, instead of being observers, he wanted them to become participants. He brought worship back in the vernacular, in the language of the people. And even the music was uh, more of the music of the people. Uh, it seems to me like we're going the opposite direction now. We are giving worship back to the stage, if you will, uh, which in Martin Luther's day might have been the priestly class. Mm. Um, a pretty big uh, leap to make. But it sure seems to me like we're going the wrong direction. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, David, that uh, as a professional yourself and as a professor of music, uh, teaching music and music technology, that uh, you are digging into these questions of, well, what is the role of the congregation uh, in addition to or beside the role of the musicians? How is that uh, working not only in your mind but with your students as you're teaching students about uh, the role of music in worship? Well, I have a class um, in uh, contemporary worship. I teach a class in that. As a matter of fact, I'm also leading a contemporary worship ensemble at church. So uh, I guess um, I'd like to say that I truly am attempting to play both sides of the style issue. And uh, with regard to the results of my my uh, my experiments, I have found, uh, for example, pipe organs uh, are I've measured them above 90 dB in some of the services and locations where I've been. So it's not just contemporary worship, and it's not just sound systems uh, that uh, that we're talking about here. It uh, in my mind, the real issue is can the congregation hear itself. I think the students are hungry for, uh, you know, these are millennials now, and I find them to be hungry for genuine worship, for authenticity. They want to, uh, they want to really, really sing out to the Lord. Their heart is one to worship. I find that on the campus of Moody Bible Institute, uh, the students there are fervent for the Lord, and uh, this is something that they crave. And I think they understand uh, something's not quite right when they can't hear the next person. And uh, a lot of them will have something very uh, kind of dogmatic to say about these issues as well. As a matter of fact, this morning we had uh, a worship team. The worship team that I'm working with uh, was able to lead some worship in chapel on campus. And uh, the, uh, we did not shy away from, from significant sounds, but everybody could understand uh, the worship team as they sang, and people could hear each other in the pew. I'm not not sure I hit your question head-on, but that is the heart of the students at Moody. Well, that's really interesting when you talk about uh, today's younger generation, millennials, who uh, are actually brought up when I often talk with worship leaders. They'll say the reason that we feel we need to crank up the volume in uh, worship settings today is to please the palate of uh, millennials today. They, they, they demand that uh, the volume be set at, this, at these levels. They expect it. Uh, but I'm hearing something slightly different from you in terms of uh, what you're hearing from millennials. I think maybe that you might find a, a group of people that would subscribe to the very loud uh, volume thing. Uh, 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 the students at Moody maybe find that to be the old way of doing things. Uh, Basically, when you run the volume loud, it's a, it kind of falls, in my mind, in the camp 
of like a rock concert, which is designed for sensory overload, laser light, um, fog machines, uh, lights of all kinds and all colors, uh, huge, huge uh, lit backdrops to the concert uh, video, um, extremely loud volumes of the PA systems and so forth. All the senses are bombarded. And uh, I'm wondering what that asks the person to do. To my way of thinking, it asks them to be a spectator. And I'm wondering if, uh, for at least according to my way of thinking, if spectatorship is what's appropriate in church. Um, I think that if we're there ostensibly to worship, it's a participative role that we're to take instead of a spectator one. Nothing wrong with spectatorship, and concerts are great, but I don't think that we can call it worship under those conditions if we're not doing anything, if you understand the line of reasoning yeah, that, I'm, yeah. that I'm taking here. Yeah. Well, you brought up uh, a number of different factors, and when we think about all the different factors that may affect a person's sense of uh, worship or a person's uh, uh, tendency to participate in worship. We've talked some about uh, audio levels, and there are many other factors, uh, the, the type and style of music, contemporary versus uh, traditional, uh, the instrumentation that's, that's used, the visual presentation that might be coming from the stage, song selection, and so on. In what you've seen or perhaps studied thus far, when it comes down to this one element of volume, how large of a factor is it in terms of encouraging participation as it stands beside all the other factors that might uh, attribute to a person's participation? That was the, precisely the point of my dissertation, and I have uh, a very, very uh, dramatic correlation between one's sense of worship. Like, they agreed with the statement, I can worship, or yeah. I could worship under those conditions and volume. In other words, they're directly linked. Mm. And again, people felt like they could worship between about uh, uh, 70 and 85 dB. If you want to round it off, it was basically in that ballpark. When you get above 90 dB, it, it begins to drop off dramatically. They do not feel they can worship. They do not feel the balance between their voice and the, and the sound around them is good. They cannot hear their own voice. Uh, they, uh, they do not feel encouraged. Um, they do not feel supported. Uh, anyway, all those factors dramatically uh, begin their downward trend at 85 and cross into negative territory above 90 dB. I did find one other piece of information that is pretty interesting. Uh, remember when I gave the test subjects control of the volume, I, I asked them one more question. I said, give me the optimal level. We now know what the minimum and the maximum are. Tell me what you would prefer to sing at. How, at what level do you feel that you can worship the best? And they chose 81 dB. Hmm. And uh, that is a pretty, it, 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 it's a pretty good number that uh, expresses where people felt they could worship the best. And tell us about, uh, do you have something similar in life that is uh, about 81 dB, so we have an idea of how loud that is? There is something that is uh, pretty, it's a really good measure, and that is if you were to sing at a medium loud volume and assume that in a church setting, families might sing, they might be seated, let's say, 
one meter apart, but people who don't know each other might be seated more than one meter apart. All right, uh, so we have some variability there. Let's just make an average of a one person per meter. And so if you measured my singing level at one meter where the next person is going to hear it, you're going to find that that falls right around 80 dB, 80, 81, hmm. 79, 83, somewhere in that ballpark you're going to find is how loud I'm singing. If I were to sing louder than that, I'm going to have to uh, exert some uh, physicality. I'm going to have to really pretty work at it pretty hard, which is not comfortable for long periods of time, so people don't bother to do it. I think there's a, kind of a physiological reason. 80, 81 dB in that ballpark is uh, where people prefer to sing because it's comfortable. It is also pretty interesting to note I prefer to sing at about, or, I'm sorry, I prefer to hear the congregation at 80 or 81 dB. I also had a microphone strapped on them, and so I could measure how loud they were singing. People sang at exactly 80 dB when the congregational volume was 81 dB. Hmm. And this says to me that people like to hear, uh, like to feel like their voice is contributing to the overall congregational sound. And yet, they're not louder than the congregation singing a solo. And yet, they're not softer than the congregation, thereby feeling like they're not contributing anything. The optimal level to hear them is 81. The optimal level to sing is about 80. And basically, that was a negligible difference in terms of uh, the actual measurement. 1 dB is, is barely noticeable. Uh, so people are essentially singing at the same volume they hear at 80 dB. I measured um, a, a kind of a, an increase. The louder you played the congregation, the louder the people sang, which uh, every sound person knows this. But what the sound people don't know, is probably don't know, is what I found out. And that is, for every, um, for every 5 dB of increase of congregational volume around them, people only sang about 1.6 to 7 dB louder. In other words, yes, they are singing louder, but not as much as you raised it. So there, the, the motivation of the sound person to get people to sing louder by raising the, the ambient volume works rather poorly in uh, my measurement. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, reaction we get after some of your data come out and people begin to evaluate uh, what is the appropriate sound level for their own churches. And I, I wonder if uh, those churches that have been uh, pumping their music out at 90 to 95 decibels, if uh, they're going to take any of the scientific information that you've found and uh, it will cause them to reset. So far, when uh, other uh, maybe less formal information like this has come out, uh, there is often a great deal of defensiveness about uh, tampering with or toning down uh, the sound. What do you expect or what have you seen so far when you've uh, presented this data? Well, I have seen a lot of pushback like you're describing. Uh, basically, it seems like I'm running, the, the, the churches are saying we're running the volume where we want to run it, uh, don't confuse me with the facts. And I guess there's not much I can say to that. 
Um, I do believe that they are uh, shooting themselves in the proverbial foot there because ostensibly they're trying to help worship, but according to my data, it's not working very well. <clears throat> what, what do they seem to be after by cranking it up? What, what ultimately is the goal? Just my opinion, just a guess on my part, because it's outside what I actually studied here, but I believe they're, they're actually um, after a spectator experience where they're trying to recreate the concert experience. Hmm. And what does that say about uh, church today and worship today? Well, uh, I guess I would believe that that might indicate uh, a desire for passivity, for spectatorship. Um, I think singing in general has been in decline. Uh, it's a, uh, it used to be very, very widespread. People sang all day long in many different settings. And there were many different opportunities for the common person to sing. And people were used to hearing poor singing. Uh, why? Because everybody sang, and nobody thought anything bad about poor singing. But nowadays, we've kind of relegated it to professionals and those who have a, a talent for it. And the rest of us don't bother because we say we can't sing. And what we really mean is we don't sing well. Mm. And so I think the process of culturally, where we just don't hear poor singing, uh, combined with the fact that uh, professionals are on the stage for recordings, or even the recordings lie to us because they've been doctored and fixed and, and helped so much. Mm. I know that for a fact, because as a recording engineer, it's part of what we do. We help the artists sound better than uh, what they, uh, you know, what the, a, a normal just hang a microphone in a room and turn the recorder on type of situation would be. Um, you were told to record a poem or something like that, and you recorded it, and the first time you had a, a syllable that wasn't quite right. Well, you would re-record it. The re-recording doesn't tell people that you made a mistake the first time. And we do that electronically, and nobody thinks a thing of it. But what it does create is a big disparity between what you hear recorded and on the radio and perhaps on the stage in church and what your own voice sounds like. Uh, and uh, that gulf makes it pretty discouraging for the average person to sing. Hmm. So interesting. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing with us some of your findings, and, and thank you for the contribution that uh, you're making to the church of bringing some actual data to the table. I think uh, everyone has opinions about uh, what's going on, and it's, it's, I think it's, a, it's an issue that's larger simply than uh, audio levels or larger than uh, the level of participation in a congregation. It, it's also attached to the health of the church, at least in this country, in general. I know that uh, in our film, When God Left the Building, these things came up, uh, both from churches that uh, were shrinking and worrying that, well, maybe what they have to do is, is get the loud band up front, and they suspect that uh, looking over at churches that may be larger in their town that they've seen have those things, they think that's the answer. But uh, also we heard in that film from people who have been a part of larger contemporary churches where the sound is is pumped out and uh, they've begun to uh, ask some real questions some of those that uh, we've raised here today that uh, cause us to pause and think deeply about uh, what's happening uh, to and and among our churches today so thank you for uh, 
making this contribution that will at least bring these issues to the table where we can talk about them with uh, some uh, degree of, of, of uh, factuality and, and uh, some experience that we can uh, point to to help us find some direction of, of where God would, would uh, want us to take this uh, worship of him. Well, I would agree uh, uh, with many of the things you're saying. I do appreciate your sentiments and what you're trying to do by bringing these things to light. Uh, I think you're doing a great work. Yeah, great talking with you. 